Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. Well, we are back with the third segment of our conversation, which I am calling a masterclass with Joka Hashima Jinsai, talking about the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex. So last week, if you joined us, um, we didn't go off topic, but uh, rather we kind of weaved in um, an article around uh, slavery that's happening in Arizona, where it is just blatantly out there in front, uh, talking about how we need to continue with slavery so that we can continue the economics of the constituents of your particular county or state, um, which would, of course, lead us to the um, understanding, I hope, of why Governor Newsom uh, helped to ensure that the that ACA3, End Slavery in California Act or measure, uh, was never brought to the floor, wasn't brought to the floor in its final... Uh, in, in, in that final window of opportunity to put this idea of ending slavery in California onto the ballot so the voters could decide. So uh, we are going to be back to the drawing board in terms of that. What we are going to get back to talking about the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex written by Joka Hashima Jinsai and the concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. So stay with us. Um, hearing from Hashima uh, is always enlightening, is always inspiring, and um, if you have been with us over the past couple of weeks, I hope you are learning something. All right, here we go. I want to bring it back to how important this indictment is, because we are going to have to shake people out from under this conditioning and normalizing of slavery. But I think we also have an opportunity at this time to uh, to, to turn it around. So, so I want to read. Um, I want to read this second paragraph, even though in some respects we kind of keep going back to, to it, and it's based on that uh, racketeering influence and corrupt organizations act, which I absolutely love, and I want people to be, you know, become familiar with the RICO Act, and how it is being turned on its head against us as this weapon, um, and why you made this um, obviously the. Uh, the, the cruciality of this indictment. But there's a question here. So I'm going to read this second paragraph of the preamble. However, what do we do when the institutions responsible for upholding and in some instances making the law are the chief architects of its habitual violation? I mean, that is such a huge question. And it goes on to, what do we, the people, do in an alleged democracy when the financial gain and political power of those who are vested with the responsibility of upholding the law is inextricably linked to maximizing the number of criminal offenders under their control when their job security, livelihood, political, and social influence is dependent on high crime and incarceration rates when they are beholden to corporate interests in exchange for kickbacks and gratuities to ensure profits are met 
on the backs of a constant flow of people being imprisoned. What do yes. we do? I think what the vast majority of the people in this society understand is living in a police state. And I don't think people really, really functionally grasp that. And the reason they don't functionally grasp that is because it's so much counterculture. There are so many, uh, lack of a better term, jelly brain distractions. Um, 70% of all media is law and order content mm. from your shows law and order to cops to uh in the heat of the night uh csi no matter where you go right right uh, no matter what platform this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded They have 
created this new mechanism to make those populations profitable. What I'm picking, speaking about is what you and I both know as unemployed people in the lumping class. Mm-hmm. All right. When a nation's social economic system does not have the capacity to employ everyone in their society, where you have 100% employment, guess what? Those people who don't have jobs, they still got to eat. The only way you can survive in a capitalist society is by selling your labor. If you become an entrepreneur and you produce a new kind of resource, be it some good or service that you're selling, or you sell your labor, get a job. Now, what happens when neither one of those are options for you? You have a third option. That's the underground economy. Everything in the underground economy has been criminalized. Even though these are survival activities. And many of them are being are being done, again, by the powers that be, the ones that have created these laws, right? But they have found another way to get a, get around that. Can I just interrupt for one minute? Because I know that you will be able to stay on track and it might be a little more. Um, going back to the media, right? And what we see on the media in terms of conditioning our minds to uh, a normalizing, being conditioned to normalize what's taking place. One of the things that I noticed is as you were speaking about that is you said, is that I noticed that we also in the media are only being showed it's headline it's exciting to see how um our social issues are also being responded to always through the lens of the law right it's not exciting that you know these grassroots organizations are um fighting for social justice right it only becomes exciting when the when police brutality or you know the the, the 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 behaviors of the state come into play mm-hmm. so we're also being conditioned to seeing how our social movements are being responded to through law enforcement as well and that's not about chance they have no. either. right okay right yeah. understand in order to effectively delegitimize even criminalize or to diminish in the minds of the masses the influence of a particular social force what do you do? You characterized it as somehow illegal. Right. Radical, yes. A violation of, of the normals and standards of the society itself and somehow oppositional to those social norms. And that's simply not true. Right. You're talking about humans that suffering. And these humans, they don't want to live that way. And they organize themselves to change social conditions so they don't have to suffer. And somehow this resistance to exploitation, oppression, human suffering, hate, somehow characterizes wrong and legal and crime. Exactly. You gotta ask yourself what type of society does that? Absolutely. What's the motor force of that society? The motor force of that society would have to be if, if what they are standing in opposition to is what is right. That society by definition would have to be wrong <laughs> so what yeah. is the opposite of social justice the opposite of social justice the opposite of social progress is conservatism and oppression what we call fascism a lot of people when they hear that word they got this this this, this image in their head of jack booted you know 
brown shirts, you know, under Mussolini and Hitler. That is the most. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Most basic, rudimentary, uh, 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 prehistoric version of capital. I mean, fascist. The most advanced fascist state the world has ever known. It's the United States of America. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's because they give you the illusion of freedom and dignity and still control you in every area of people activity. They can organize an entire society that teaches people what to think, and they're comfortable with that, and dissuade you how to think. And they intentionally purpose organize and structure their institutions for people to accept these social norms, which are detrimental to human life. Like, you got people actually defending poisoning the planet. They're right. defending that. They are, right. My job security. Right. We live in an age of technological advancement where your job security will be more secure if you pursue those technologies which were life-sustaining, which are sustainable, i.e. sustainable technology. <laughs> right. Bring technology. Right. But you will stand in opposition to that in droves simply because this clown in the suit tells you that ain't conservative, or that's not right wing, or, or that's not American. Or the right, exactly. Go ahead around that. Yeah. It's un-American. That, so that should be an ominous feeling. That should give you exactly. an ominous feeling, but in right. <laughs> that part. So you got to ask yourself, okay, if that's un-American. If what's right is un-American, then by definition, what's wrong must be what's American. What I'm saying is, what is or is not a social norm is predicated upon the will of the people. If you sufficiently orientate a people to their interest, because you gotta realize a lot of our people are not functioning in their interest. And take our community's fence. Uh, look out your front door. Anybody listening to me right now, you look in the hood. Look out your front door. What you see? See the homies out there banging and slanging. The home, the homegirls out there hustling. That's grinding and trapping. But we ain't introducing none of these narcotics into our communities. Guns ain't manufactured in our communities. No, they're not. They introduce them to your community. So you can maintain these black markets and underground economies. So you can maintain these perpetual cycles of violence. So this insatiable mall that they call the prison industrial slave complex can continue to consume you, your children, your fathers, your brothers, your sisters, and mothers. And they can maintain this billion-dollar industry by disposing of that surplus labor and those undesirable racial people. So, okay. You are aiding the system <laughs> in your own oppression. Absolutely, absolutely. That's irrational. All right, here I interjected a long-winded answer or observation that I'm just going to break down into something shorter. 
and talking about, you know, how to maybe that the people are not responding so much irrationally, but out of out of fear or simply just being traumatized for having people uh, that look like us, that come from our communities, that get into these positions of power, the ones that are the architects of these laws that they continually break, and then they again then assault the people. And he asked me about if I had heard of neo-colonialism, and of course I had, but then he said, well, what about domestic neo-colonialism? And I had never had it uh, put that way, and here's what he had to say. It's what you're experiencing right now. It's when me, as an oppressor state, can take somebody who looks exactly like you, put them in a position of power, and run my policies through that individual. So they are a colonial subject. They are a colonial puppet. They look like you. Right. They talk like you. They come from the same place you come from. They even produce a few programs that are are superficially beneficial to you. So the vast majority of states continue policies on social oppression can proceed unmolested. And when I speak about this group of individuals who are structured this society in such a fashion that they are the primary architects of officially violating the law. They have, in turn, utilized, criminalized you. That's what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. It's when you, they have commoditized human bondage. It's wrapped your head around it. They have created a, 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 a assembly line where they take social policy, structure the society in such a fashion, both psychologically, economically, culturally, and politically, that you respond to these social policies in a way that exposes you to criminal prosecution. Right. Which in turn exposes you to imprisonment. Which in turn exposes the rest of you to having your social product appropriated to hold and maintain industries built upon that imprisonment. Yeah. That's a racket. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's the very definition of a racket. is when you corrupt the institutions of a, of a society, legitimate institution, to carry on a criminal enterprise. Mm. Slavery is legal. Right. Slavery is legal in the United States. Right. But slavery is a crime. Right. Wrap your head around that. There are laws that prohibit slavery in the United States. Yet, at the same time, the supreme law of the land allows you to enslave people under very particular conditions. Right. Those particular conditions being violate the law. That's number one. <laughs> the law. And that I just, it, it so infuriates me every yeah. time we talk about violating the yeah. law. <laughs> Understand it. The law does not mean justice. Justice ain't the law. Slavery was legal in the United States of America. Lynching was legal in the United States of America. Wholesale slaughter of Native American people was legal in the United States of America. The law ain't just. The law is simply an expression of the current interest of the ruling class. That's it. Right. Say that again. The law is merely the social expression of the current dominant interest of the ruling class. That's it. That's it. Don't mean nothing else. <laughs> All them folks that y'all go to the polls and elect, they don't work for you. You got, they work for those interests that can ensure that they get reelected. Those interests have money. The only country on the face of the planet that I know of where a, 
corporation under the law can be considered a person. All right, we are going to take a musical break, but before we do, I hope you've noticed how many times Hashima has already asked us to wrap your brain around that, wrap your mind around that. How this system continues to force us into a brainwashed way of thinking, a conditioned way of thinking around um, our own oppression. And, And then how that's playing out in how we treat each other and and stifles our movement forward in, to building a world that will benefit the people, the humans, the human rights and dignities of people and planet. And this is also coming from somebody that is being enslaved by that very system, this racket of a system. Hashima has been in for 30 years or more, spent 20 years in solitary confinement simply because of these ideas and the continued honing of this very important narrative that is, uh, he just, again, makes so digestible, so easy to hear. I, 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 uh, it's such a privilege to bring his voice uh, to these airwaves because um, uh, I can't say it this way, and I know very few people that speak so powerfully and so eloquently um, the, uh, about uh, what what we are being subjected to in this, you know, neo-colonialist, capitalist, imperialist, white patriarchal setup. And he, Hashima, other revolutionaries are watching this from behind the walls, and they are uh, writing books and doing what they can uh, in solidarity with us out here to get their voices out, because we don't know if they're ever going to be on this side of the wall. So uh, again, this is a this is a real uh, privilege to be able to uh, record. Um, these these revolutionaries um, and bring their ideas some level of salvation and um, up to our humanity by asserting theirs. So um, we are going to take a break, a musical break. Here we go with Peter Tosh, Down Presser Man. <laughs> Sea will be 
If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host here, Nube Brown at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We are continuing my conversation with Joka Shimajinsai talking about the book that has just been published on Amazon, Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex Concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. And just before the break, I asked him about voting. Mm-hmm. And yes. This is what I mean by this is what I mean by double edged sword. Mm-hmm. If you utilize your vote to ensure that we create an environment where social progress is easy or more viable, cool. If you're using your vote to chase the rhetoric of a particular uh, political candidate or a particular, a particular uh, uh, current political office holder. Uh, that ain't cool. I will guarantee you nine times out of ten you're being lied to. Right? Now, you are structuring your vote in such a fashion that you're voting as a block. And what I mean by voting as a block, I mean when you have a group of people with common social political interests voting as one. You say, no, we ain't with that. <laughs> right. Yes. You're going to change that. Yeah. And you're going to change that so it reflects our interest. That's one thing. Because you're utilizing battle as a weapon, utilizing as a tool to build, not destroy. What I think the vast majority of people have to come to understand is live in a society where you, your, your senses, your perception of reality is being consistently manipulated. Right. You're being consistently lied to, uh, uh, misled, led astray, <laughs> obfuscated. You're being, your mind is being controlled. Seriously, yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm pretty good with language. I'm trying to craft the way I can go around, you know, saying this without just hitting somebody in their mouth. But uh, you being brainwashed. Exactly. You don't even know it. But I love how you exactly. And this is what I love though about what you're saying because what you're what you're saying is. You have power if you shake yourself out of this numbness and this conditioning. And I, that's what, and that's why I wanted, I wanted you to say it. You say it so eloquently and so beautifully. That's why I set you up to answer the question. <laughs> I'll give you an example. In Jackson, Mississippi, back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, Baba Chokwe was a mover. Mm-hmm. Long-standing New African Revolutionary Nationalist, wrestler, uh, founder of the New African Organization. He ran for mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, and won. 
and he won because Jackson, Mississippi is a predominantly black city. Right. Should have won. Should have been won. Exactly. A long time ago. <laughs> Should have been New African running that near ends too. Well, I mean, shortly after he won, he died under mysterious circumstances. Mm. But I said that to say this. That was a strategic use of the ballot, of the ballot box. Absolutely. They, this, this, this brother had the new Jackson Rising initiative. Mm-hmm. Which is almost identical to what you and all, what you all know as the Thomas Infrastructure Mission. What he was talking about was collective ownership. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all of these mechanisms. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Incorporation began to serve everybody. It actually became uh, interest. This is in your interest. Social system is in your interest. Culture system is in your interest. Something, uh, educational system is in your interest. Something that don't really exist in this society. You have pockets of interest. We call them special interest. Uh-huh. Right, right. Uh, 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 American uh, mm-hmm. politics. And no matter what aspect of human activity you could think of, you have varying, competing, special interests. When the primary interest should be humans. Human interest, exactly. Good. It should be a collective interest, but yeah. you have been so thoroughly orientated to be divided. You have been so thoroughly socially alienated that the vast majority of y'all don't realize your greatest power is unity. Right. Just coming together and saying in one voice, let's check it out. You could change the world. And everybody listen to my voice right now. If that's one, y'all just Put your hands in your pocket and say, I ain't doing shit. Until you change this social condition, this society reflect how we want to live. You just did that, the world will stop. If one day you'll break their back, in one day, you're talking about trillions of dollars being produced. And what if everybody decided that one was like, man, I ain't doing shit. Right. Time. Nothing. I ain't going to work. I'm not breathing. I'm not go- nothing. Nothing. You break their back in a day. Comes around. I know. They like what you want? We'll do anything. What's up? They start. They start piling the sky promises. Shit, shit they can't do. It's so but, true. It's we live in a society that has been divided along religious lines, social lines, cultural lines, and those who are most oppressed, New African people, for example, ain't the most divided. It's mind-boggling to me. That 496 years, a 496-year-long historical record to look at, show these folks don't give a fuck about you. Excuse my language, y'all. They don't care about you. And your response to that, and I got to say this, sister, is... To help them out by continuing to create new ways to divide yourselves from one another. It's wrong. It's irrational. It's crazy. And to prove ourselves to them that we are as worthy. That, I that, can't. They have a word for this. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that I wrote this indictment. One of the reasons that me and the comrade came up with the concept mm-hmm. and I wrote it was because so many of our people are responding irrationally to this system. Right. It, it's, it's, it's not a rational response. See, you have a racket being ran in your community with 
your children. They starting the racket at the preschool level. They orientating your kids to go out into these streets, violate their law that they created, so they can lock them up, make money off of. In the state of California, costs one hundred six thousand dollars a year. Keep one of us in one of these cells. Now, I want to clarify that for y'all. It only costs about eight thousand dollars a year feeding houses. The rest of that money is going to line their pocket. They ain't spending no hundred six thousand dollars on me. No. Well, nobody else in here. Don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. That's how much money they take out your tax dollars. Exactly. That's how much they remove from the general fund per prison head. Right. Per head, per cell. Where I'm at right now, that's on this yard alone. So 2,000 dudes. Do the math. 160000 dollars a year times 2,000 units. Do the math. Right. It's the Can, reason why the operating budget is $24 billion. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's it's insane. Um, hold on one second. I need to... Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Hold on. Great. You're still here. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna do a little pushback here um, sure. just uh, to keep this conversation going. And I, just, and I also want to hear what you have to say. So could there also be that we have been traumatized for so long that 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 that's our response it's a response to trauma the psychological physical and emotional trauma that has been meted out to our communities on a reg- i mean like like you said almost 500 years right and so the p there are people that are st- specifically again here's where we talked about you know like where the money is going and um you know where the resources are going where the attention is going there are people that are literally just doing the work to try and attend to the trauma of people right um i agree 100%. <clears throat> not only that i'm gonna read something to you okay an excerpt from a textbook that uh, helped to write. Uh, and it's from the section called The Paradox of Criminality in America, Contradictions Past and Present. Sorry, and what's the name of that book again? Poverty, Crime, and Government, How America Criminalized the Race. The section I'm going to read from is the section that I wrote. Yes, that is your, and, that is, that is, you let the people know that this is your book so that they can get it. Yes, this is a textbook you wrote. I'm going to read an excerpt from it because it's relevant. After you read this part what? also, will you please relate this to why you and others that you represent as new Africans are still inside? Let people know why you are inside. You do represent this violation of the RICO Act by the U.S. government. Okay, uh, first of all, I've been in prison for uh, well over 31 years. And me and brothers of like mind, the reason why we've done our time, whatever the offense may have been, we've done our time. Right. 
But the reason why they continue to maintain us inside these concentration camps is perhaps the same reason I'm here talking to you right now. Understand something about your society and your culture and your institutions of social policy. They will criminalize, delegitimize, seek to repress any voice that would expose truth to the people and move their minds from acceptance of current social conditions to changing those social conditions. You got to understand that. Off the bat, off the dribble. That's how your, that's the society you live in. Thank you. I'm still here because they really don't want guys like me out there. Well, allow me to read this. To understand, first of all, let me go here. The concept of law in America is based on the values of its dominant class, the capitalist or ruling class, while the concept of true justice is based on the upholding of human rights transferred to a common power apex through the mutual agreement of two or more people or two or more groups of people. The two concepts conflict with one another fundamentally and violently. To understand this paradox, we must understand its ideology, how it came into being. The modes of production and appropriation are determining factors in the compromisation of any society, of which class will rule that society. When the Euro-American bourgeois settler overthrew colonial British social economic organization in North America, it retained for itself the same privileges of usurpation that aristocracy enjoyed during the fuel epoch. They simply replaced, through the restructuring of the modes of production and appropriation, the layers of illusion utilized by kings, queens, and dukes, i.e. mysticism of symbols, political religious illusions like the divine right of kings, etc., with naked self-interest, direct exploitation, pseudo-scientific justifications for inhumane brutality and open and unashamed oppression. Human worth was reduced to mere exchange value, and all of social life was commoditized for efficient valuation, barter, and disposal. These values made up the basis of morality for the American ruling class. And to consolidate their power, they imposed these values on the whole of society in the form of the law and its enforcement mechanisms. The state. The institutions of American society were structured from religious and educational institutions to labor and law enforcement institutions to orientate the population in these notions of morality and law, as well as their underlying basis, profit and violence. In so doing, the U.S. ruling class embeds the illusion into the whole society that the ruling class's interests and their interests are one and the same. <laughs> God, with yes. nothing could be further from the truth. <sighs> thus developing a slavery of the willing. Hierarchical and authoritarian in nature, the function of these institutions was to reproduce these warped values in society as a whole, based on one class's cultural group and result in social function, as the supreme rule of social life. This process of successive indoctrination ensured that these values would be reproduced in the family unit and reinforced in every area of people activity outside the home. Yes. Want to say something? No, I'm just, it's just, this, uh, <laughs> the, the reality of the world that we're living in is, 
is I, I have to say, like, I don't know if the word is frightening or it's just, I mean, uh, you know, um, forewarned is, you know, forearmed is forewarned. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but, but wow. I mean, I, I can't, I have a question for you though, but after you read this, like, this process possesses its own unique characteristics consistent with the dynamic dialectic of distinctive factors. Depending on the particular race class strata of the population, the individuals represented, whether they ruled or were ruled. This assimilation process to patriarchal, authoritarian, white male dominance and capitalist class morality of individualistic competition in pursuit of accumulation of private wealth over the course of America's historic maturation resulted in the unique U.S. mass psychology of fascism, which is at the root of its many contradictions. Central to the maintenance of both capitalist class dominance and the rationalization of the atrocities necessary to both engage in shadow slavery to establish the capitalist the capital needed to produce the global hegemony of America and seize the North American landmass was the pseudo scientific justifications for both Native American extermination of the system of genocidal slavery that the Africans were subjected to in the New World. The assimilation to the ruling class took its own unique form for each culture, class, and people subjected to its domination. Listen closely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For the African in America, it took the form of brutal enslavement. This enslavement was justified by pseudo-scientific assertions that Africans, Africans were innately inferior and by nature subhuman, thus compelling the adoption of the pseudo-religious mysticism of America's self-imposed white man's birth to civilize and Christianize the savage. This systematic dehumanization and inferiority indoctrination was given its material force in the dual evils of racialization and the incomprehensibly savage process of man-breaking unique to American enslavement. Oh, God, yes. Oh. I'm going to stop right there. Okay, because that's about all we can take. <laughs> I mean, really. So, yes. I said all that mm -hmm. to say this. Yes. It is because of the trauma that our people have suffered over the course of successive indoctrination over the length and breadth of our presence in the United States of America and in the world. Of course it is. When you hear me use that word fascist, a lot of people automatically assume that's something that's imposed on the people by an outside force. It's not. Right, right. Fascism is a mass psychology that is supported by the people. Ironically, it's supported probably most fervently by those that are most oppressed. I know. Crazy, huh? Yes, it is. It is. But it's real. But it's real. It's real. And now... And thank you again. This is what's so important because we're getting to the end of our time and I want to make sure that you answer this one last question. Um, because as we continue to have these conversations, I, I, I'm i growing and I, I, we are going to have to hear this over and over again because you got it. We got to get it, right? And that's exactly why they don't want you to come out here. In the Blood in My Eye, when George Jackson, Comrade George Jackson says fascism is already here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, of course, I hear him and I believe him. But there's a, there's a deeper understanding that I don't have. But I have better now. So thank you so much. And I know that whoever else is going to be listening to this is going to hear that. Right now, based on everything that we have, because we want people to go away with something that they can do. The least that you can do when you walk away from um, when the radio show is over and, or whenever you get to it and it's done, 
what would you like for the people to do that are listening to this particular episode? The very first thing I believe anybody who listens to my voice right now needs to go out your door onto your community and assess what you all need most. Conditions in every community is different. What I mean by that is come together. How many of y'all know who your neighbor is? Right. That is so changed. How many of y'all done went next door and knocked on the door and introduced yourself just to the person that lived right next door to you? We, if you do anything when you leave this, 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 uh, 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 interview right here, this discussion that we have, go outside your door and seek to create a climate unity in your community. Do that. That's so beautiful. It's easy. It's so easy. Just go introduce yourself to your neighbor that's directly across the street from you and on both sides of you. Both sides. If it's an apartment, go knock on the door and introduce yourself. Hey, how you doing? My name is Jasper. I live in this door. You need a cup of sugar. Come out of that. Just that. Don't do nothing else. That's so beautiful. Just do that one thing. I guarantee you, if you do that, it's going to lead to a whole other discussion. Right. And that discussion, everything going to lead to another discussion. You're going to find out you got a whole lot more in common with the folks that live across the street from you and next door to you. You can possibly have. Yeah. And where social cooperation is strong, oppression and state power is weak. It's that simple, simple math. Say that one last time. I love that statement. Where, Where social cooperation is strong, oppression and state power is weak. Yes. You look at my hand. If I got my hand, you see how my hand is spread out in five fingers. You can't see it, but you basically put my hand look like right. If I was to slam my hand against a wall, right now I'd probably break my fingers. But if I take this hand and I bring these fingers together into a fist, I can punch pretty much anything I want to punch. I ain't got to worry about hurting my hand. Did some magical process occur? Did my hand somehow transmorphize to a different substance? No. All I did was wrong. So it's divided, separated, weak, vulnerable fingers together. I united them, and suddenly they became strong. Yeah. We ain't no different. Say hi to your neighbor. Introduce yourself. See where you go. You never know. I love that. And it's so beautiful coming from a new African revolutionary. It's just like, and, and, and that's also what I want people to hear. And that's just so beautiful. Thank you so much, Hashima. I just, I adore you. We appreciate you so much, Hashima. And um, yeah, you have a beautiful rest of your day and week, and we will get back to it next time. All right, sis. Okay. You have a great day. Love you. Love you more. Peace and power, y'all. Peace and power. All right, that is our show for the week. Uh, I was speaking with Hashima and asking about a song that he wanted to play, and he told me about a song, Day-to-Day Living, by Don Carlos. But unfortunately, um, I'm only able to find the album, so I am choosing a song from that album called Street Life. So it's giving me a little bit more time, and I wanted to read something from another uh uh, creation uh, from Abdul Olubala Shakur, who is the cellmate of with Hishima, who is also the one who um, created the concept for the book that we are uh, in conversation about, Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex. So there is another booklet, the African American Community Emergency Response Network Manual, that a 
Abdul Olubala Shakur has created, and I want to read that preamble. Unfortunately, many within the African-American, a.k.a. New African community, don't take natural disasters or crises seriously, and our community's failure to prepare itself for a natural disaster is indicative of that criticism. We are approximately 11 years removed from the Hurricane Katrina, and not one African-American community has effectively or independently prepared itself in light of the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. We can no longer afford to depend on the government or any outside sources. Our vulnerability becomes more fragile when we are dependent on outsiders or others to do for us what we are capable of doing for ourselves. Developing our own emergency network and or manual is no longer an option. It is now a necessity towards the survival of our people and community. The key to surviving a natural disaster, or at least minimizing fatalities, is being prepared and organized. This emergency response manual is only a blueprint in the service of our communities. It contains two interconnecting components. For example, one, a plan for the individual family, and two, a more complex and long-range plan designed to prepare our communities. Olubala, uh, sorry, Abdul Olubala Shakur. Now, I am just making myself familiar with this manual uh, because there are communities out here that actually are preparing themselves. There aren't many. There certainly are not enough. And I want to make sure that Abdul does know that so that they have hope for the work that they are doing and um, in solidarity with what is, is taking place out here. It does bring that sense of, of hopefulness for, for the future. So shout out to Oakland. Let's see if we can get something going here in San Francisco. With that, I want to wish you a beautiful rest of your week and get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.